Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. That's much better than Jeffrey Sue did a few weeks ago. No, that's left off. Fuck off. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of the Exos Cartel. Today we are joined that little beautiful giggle that was Austin Stout, aka uh, I'm sure Sonia has a nickname of like Daddy of some kind for you. Well, today Dutch Daddy. Today Dutch Daddy. Oh, dude. Yeah. I like Dutch Daddy. I like Dutch yeah. Daddy. That's pretty good. But today we're going to talk about <laughs> Telmasartan, Metformin, Primo Masteron, Insulin for longevity, GH for longevity, and any other applicable drugs uh, we should be considering or utilizing. Um, kind of figure we go high end on this. I'm real excited about some of it. But with that being said, Jason's stuffing his beautiful face. Yep. Jeff, can I turn it to you to host for a second? Can I, so I go to the bathroom? And yeah, then, I'd love to host. You, you can do, yeah, I know you do. You fucking you know, egotistical <laughs> asshole. Anyway, if you <laughs> if you want to um, host and do the seven days real quick, I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd like to start with Austin and find out how his last seven days have been before we get to Jason. See how uh, his New Year's in January has been so far. Okay. Um, last seven days, everything's pretty good getting a lot more people kind of into that figuring out their shows and all that jazz for next year so kind of kind of have that going on um man business is good um everything's booked for pec i don't really have any complaints we bought a house so we oh, find nice. that's, that's something that's pretty Wait. recent what's what about the what are you gonna do about the barn oh there's oh dude i got it covered there's a there's another barn. <laughs> although, although this barn is, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm kind of a poser now because this barn has electricity in it. Oh, and so, it has heat. so it has heat. Yeah. Well, it has electricity, which of course I can heat it with electric. I can, I can use heaters, but yeah. And it has a wood, like one of those pellet um, oh, stoves, yeah. which are really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so we got that going on. That probably won't be till springtime. Um, but yeah, you buy some acres with it, or yeah, it's close to six. It's like five and some change. Nice. Wow, you got six acres out there. Close to that, I know. Well, where you live, that would be like you know two or three million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Barely one acre. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Jason, how about you? Uh, been busy, which is good. Um, I'm going to do the same thing that I did when Jeff and I went live. I've been selling my courses in a bundle. Um, you get four of them for 300. So they're usually 250 if I sell them separate. And I just went ahead and kind of put them at 300 for four courses. You got to mention the show though, because the actual deal was done uh, January 1. So that's just mm. a benefit for you listening to the show. Got to put it in your email, jasonscoobyprep.com. But other than that, man, you know, it's been business as usual. Um, you know, a lot of signups, a lot of people still wanting to work on health, hormonal imbalances. I've had a few gut issues, sending them out to get GI maps and figure out what's going on with them. Um, I've had some pretty good, like, classic physique bodybuilder guys sign up who are, you know, real close to that pro card and just need to get over the hump. Um, so that should be fun. Um, my PCOS class went great. Um whenever the four different types and, you know, kind of lumped like, you know, adrenal high PCOS in there, but um, adrenal hyperandrogenism, however you want to coin it. Um, and everyone seemed to really like it. I had about 15 
uh, show up for that. So that was a good showing. Um, other than that, nothing else really coming down the pike. Um, just, uh, you know, bracing myself for, for a busy, busy uh, January. Yeah. All right. I guess uh, I'll go next and then we'll leave it to Mr. Jeff. Unbreakable Black, the greatest of all time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate but, that. Um, <laughs> anyways, my last seven days have been great. Like uh, Jason and Austin, uh, you know, been really busy with consult signups. And, you know, I've been getting a lot of like hormonal cases, like women with like no periods or you know eating disorders. And they, they train like seven days a week with no rest. And um, my message to those people, if you guys listen to this podcast, is that recovery will not be easy if you fight the process. So um, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Other than that, uh, you know, I hit my revenue target that I set for 2021, actually exceeded it by about 20 grand. So I am extremely pleased with myself that I was able to accomplish that. And I've set new goals that aren't as revenue oriented for 2022. Um, I'm also not getting the Porsche Turbo. So I know some of you who've been following this podcast and me talking about this goddamn car all year are like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Why? What happened? (laughs) Right, Austin, he's he's disappointed that I'm not no, dropping a little quarter, bit. quarter million on a sports car. But you know what? I bought a brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's a white one, and um, I'm gonna I'm, and I sold my BMW. So uh, that's wow. that. Yep. And is know, someone growing up? I, you know, call it. You know, he's all grown thing. up. No, no, no. I'm not growing up. Here's the thing. I want to start another business, all right? But I don't know what it's going to be. I yeah. want to diversify, right? I still want to coach, but I want to do other stuff too. And whatever Keep it is- the boy in the loop here, dude. Keep me in the loop. I it's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. So my goal this year is to set aside $250,000 in savings for that nice. business. That's so, smart. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. And if you want one, which I know you hate, but you can still get a used when mine's used and no one knows I bought it I used. don't want to use Porsche. When I get it- I will get one one day, but not now. I want to use Porsche. They're all I mean, low miles, like used. Yeah, know. dude. Like no one freaking knows. Like, Jason, I'm yeah. gonna judge the shit out of your shitty Porsche now when I see it. Like, that's <laughs> such a shitty Porsche. Uh, uh, anyways, that's it. That's it for me. All right. Well, it sounds beautiful up there in that that state of Massachusetts. Um, let's see. Christmas was awesome. Jared was here. New Year's. Me and Keegan hung out. We were in bed by eight. Um, Keegan's like doing a modified version of 75 hard with me starting like when we get back from Dallas, he like wants to like try it and I'm like, all right. And then he's been practicing at the row club. So I've been doing the whole dad life. That's been cool. And then, uh, Oh, I got two super big meetings guys. So tomorrow I go meet with a bank about a $2 million loan for the property that I might want to confiscate or purchase here in Nashville for the gym. So I get to kind of find out like how viable my business is, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the door company that I bought into officially kicks off in February. So I'm a little bit ahead of Jeffrey Sue for a diversified income stream outside of the coaching business and actually in negotiations for a fence company that we're looking to purchase too. So that way I'd have another blue collar, but, um, and then the other one is I go see an orthopedic surgeon next Wednesday who comes highly recommended uh, because I actually think that that hip injury, Jason, you remember how I got that at eight weeks out for nationals and I got diagnosed with the, the slight hip fracture. Well, I actually think I tore my, uh, my labrum and my hip too, because the injury has not gotten better 
And like it's steadily like this last year has got me more destabilized in the joint where like I'll be more prone to like it seizing and I'll just fall and like just like, you know, and that's not good to do. So yeah, but dude, it's like, but when I train, nothing bugs me. Like I can hack squat. I can already, I, I mean, I can do a whole workout and not be phased. It's like if I've been seated for a long time, or if I go to suddenly pivot with like explosion laterally, like I just will like seize and die. Uh, <laughs> so I'll know a little bit more about that, but that's kind of like my two big things. But otherwise I'm like, you all business is good. Um, signups are flowing in and I actually like my in-person training. I've got some good in-person clients lately that have just been fun as hell. So that's always cool. Like, I know you guys have your online shelters, but uh, I do like going to my gym. I know no one beats Austin. Austin's got fucking your own underneath <laughs> his desk. But uh, you still got that thing, by the way? What's that? The urinal underneath the desk. Oh, dude, the urinal is only for like marathons when I can't get up. I oh, okay. All right. Well, the way I was just, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if he's gonna whip it out in the middle of this podcast. Like, I just didn't know. But anyway, yeah, I'll uh, fill it up and then hold it up for everyone to see. Yeah, you gonna do that to the PEC? Oh, speak of the PEC, we got that January 28th, 29th in Dallas. Austin, what is your topic that you're talking on in Dallas? Um, so mine's gonna be neurotransmitters and, and behavioral type stuff. So you guys will be able to relate that to your clients and behavioral patterns. So really useful for people that prep and diet and things like that. I think there'll be some good takeaways there that'll help. And probably even uh, like the functional health healing clients and stuff to kind of understand some of the behaviors a little bit better and help and help with that. Um, Cause as you guys know, that's, most of the obstacle with those, we know the protocols, right? It's just kind of getting, it's, it's getting people to buy in and, and get rid of those old habits and things. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. The mental side is always a bitch. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, dude, that sounds like a, it's going to be a very diverse topics being presented. So if you guys are interested, check out the excellencecartel.com. Uh, we have like three or four VIP left as of now. That does include your dinner. We do buy your dinner. So you don't have to worry about going, shelling out a wallet. We're, Jeffrey Sue's got all that money now that he switched from a Porsche to a Jeep Grand Cherokee. He is charitable. Um, <laughs> and then we got about, I think, like 21 more spots left for GA. Um, just by the way, everything is. So be sure to get your tickets and... If you guys have any questions, hit one of us up. We'll be more than happy to help you all out. But that Saturday night, we are going to find a place to go. Um, and you guys get to pick who's better dressed, me or Jeffrey Sue. And Jason says well, he's going to throw himself Well, when are hat. you doing it? Are you, are, you, are you trying to be better dressed the night out or when we present? Oh, I'm talking the entire weekend, Jason. It's, it's going to be an ordeal. I have like three outfits lined up. So. You do? So- Oh, Austin's prepared. You know, Jason, well, the pressure is on you. The frat boy look. What's going to happen? The dark horse. <laughs> Jason shows I'll, up as a little Tom I'll, I'll, I'll beef it up. Don't worry about me. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Oh, this is. I usually just roll for comfort, but uh, yeah, like sounds like I got to step up my game. So, dude, I but, thought about. Well, I'll go like, who is the most comfortable? I'll challenge you to that. <laughs> I, I really, honestly, thought about buying a robe. And just wearing it and stripping the robe off to open up the PEC. Look at Austin. Austin just so, so Derek got me a robe for Christmas, like a legit, oh, yeah? like velvety, big oh. robe. Of the hood. Dude, this thing is dangerous. If you put it on, you're done. <laughs> it's over. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you're rendered paralyzed. Like you can't do anything. Dude, oh, dude it sounds like some wizard <laughs> shit. That's pretty badass. Um, well, we have some topics today, Austin, that we kind of wanted to, we've pulled from a Q and A's that we felt that you were obviously the most fun to bring on to talk about because you have excellent knowledge on these. The first two that I wanted to begin with is Prima Bowling and talking about applications, talking about male, male side when you would want to introduce this, female side when you want to introduce this, and then dosages involved and kind of like any cool nuances that you utilize it for, maybe with per se TRT people as well who might want to look to like enhance their stacks. And then Mastrone as well, because they're similar but yet different. And I know it has to do with the estrogen side of things, but we figured we'd get down to it with you. So with that being said, let's take it away. Okay. Yeah. So those two separate those compounds a little bit, but they are pretty similar, even structurally. They're, they're pretty close to the same thing for all intents and purposes. I think the biggest, and honestly, like if you have to pick one or the other, I think the biggest determining factor for your general person is going to be just cost and availability for because um, availability being that prima bullion is eat harder to source real type of thing. So, um, and that's just the difficulty. Now, as far as, um, uh, as far as mechanism goes, um, they are both kind of in that DHT category. So um, upside to that, obviously they don't aromatize. So you can include them in, with something that does aromatize to help balance out that stack. Um, I think that in all honesty, those two compounds, either Mastron or Primo combined with your testosterone, you could pretty much have infinite progression with those just two and just basically titrate up the dose based on how much someone needs, how big they are and, and how, what their kind of goals are. Um, because at the end of the day, total dosing is going to be more of a determining factor in the effect versus like, do we need 10 different compounds in a stack? Well, not really. I mean, that makes it more difficult if there's a side effect. You don't really know what's doing what. Um, more potential for side effects since there are more moving parts. And beyond that, again, like total dose is going to determine the results. So we could, in theory you could take someone and take those two compounds and infinitely titrate them up to whatever dose that you wanted based on their needs. And you maybe never have to use anything else in in terms of like an off season scenario, especially for muscle growth. Um, You know, for prep, you could make an argument that we would use some of the more um, uh, cosmetic type of compounds, at least briefly towards the end. But um so we'll talk about kind of like how, how would you put them together? So um, the whole idea is just androgen to estrogen ratio. Okay. The idea is that we create this ratio so we don't need ancillary drugs like AIs, right? Mm-hmm. So we can, we can essentially control the amount of aromatization by just adjusting up and down how much testosterone is in the stack and how much DHT is in the stack. So it's like, for example, if, if someone was taking 500, a male was taking 500 milligrams of testosterone and he was having estrogenic type side effects, well, rather than adding an AI, he could, in theory, just lower that down to maybe 300 and then replace the remaining 200 with the DHT 
bam, aromatizations down, estrogenic side effects are gone. We're still at the same total dosing and everyone's happy. So that's kind of, that's kind of the thought process there. Now with figuring out the ratio, um, it's going to vary a little bit person to person. I think that anyone that has, has used anabolics before they kind of know like what their susceptibility is to, to having those side effects. Like, do they get gyno flare ups easily? Are they that type of person? Do they get any types of other swings or retention or something that might be estrogen related? So if you know that you're probably going to want to err on the more conservative side and you might be more in that like one-to-one range with dosing. So one, one part test, one part primo or mass, and then bump, bump, bump. The nice thing there is once you kind of figure out that ratio, if you stay within it, you can generally titrate up pretty side effect free till you get to whatever your ending, your ending dose is. Now, I personally like, there's, there's going to be different schools of thought. Like I personally like titration with a lot of people just because for me, it's easier to just ramp someone up over a number of weeks because I know if they do have a side effect, I know where I was at just before and I right. can make a tweak versus saying like, now we're, we're at 200 milligrams. Now we're going to go to 1200 type of thing. Well, there's a whole lot that happens in between there that I don't really, I can't really see, you know what I mean? So um, titration just makes that a little bit easier, uh, especially for newer clients. Like if you've never worked with the person before, that's always going to make it a little bit easier. Um, and we kind of do the same thing in prep. We, by default, you know, we add things in as we go and we kind of ramp, right? So it would be similar in an off-season scenario. But um, DHT, so going back a little bit, DHT isn't a isn't necessarily an estrogen blocker so much as it does interact with aromatase activity. So it will lower the amount of aromatase activity. Now, in theory, I guess that would technically make it kind of an AI, you know, it's not classed as an aromatase inhibitor, but it, that's why, that's why you see that interaction between estrogen and DHT. And that's why that works. That's why you can titrate like that. So, um, that's a male application and it's really not that complicated at the end of the day. I mean, just the biggest thing is just kind of figuring out how much do you need and also, you know, how much do you need ratio wise? And then kind of like, what's your total dosing that you need? And I think that probably just depends on how big you are, what your goals are, how young or old you are, perhaps, you know, I mean, um, Certainly, if you're more experienced and just kind of at the later stages in maintaining tissue, you definitely probably don't need what you used to get yeah. there, right? Maintenance versus continuing growth. So those would be some considerations. Um, you said females. So um, yeah. with women, the one difficult thing with women is women, so when we give them Typically, compounds with women are non-aromatizing compounds. Traditionally, that's what they were given. Anivar always seems like, for whatever reason, seems like the first one or right. sometimes a straw or sometimes Primo or whatever it is. Um, now, the hard part about that is if they stay on them, that in exogenous androgen coming in is suppressing 
their endogenous output, just like a male, right? It's kind of shutting them down slowly, at least for a brief period. So the hard part about that is in theory, it may lower their estrogen over time. If it's lowering ovarian hormone production, the adrenals obviously do a little bit in there, but if it's lowering ovarian hormone production, if they were on cycle for a little bit on a non-aromatizing compound, they're going to have a lot of androgens, but not much estrogen by the end. Right. Because the body's going to take a while to clear it out. You, you know, you got beta glucuronidase like recirculating and your body's going to take a little bit to clear all that estrogen. So in a prep that might not matter. Like if they're on six to eight weeks or whatever they're doing, depending on their level for prep, that might be perfect. Like they might have very little estrogen by the end and then they might peak well and, and so on and so forth. But in an off season scenario, um, you could potentially make an argument to have a little bit of aromatization in the stack. So their estrogen doesn't smash down to zero. So that's where, that's where the, the like really scary testosterone comes in for a woman. And, and, and as you guys know, cause you've dealt with HRT in women, um, a woman on an HRT dose would potentially probably have a better hormonal environment if they wanted to add an anabolic on top of that in that scenario, right? Because they have an estrogen source. Now women don't aromatize as much as men because they don't really rely on aromatization like we do. Like we don't produce estrogen like women, right? So, but they do, like they'll still aromatize. So in theory, if we had a woman on a base dose of testosterone, maybe even three to five milligrams is gonna be, keep them high normal. And then they added whatever, five, 10, whatever milligrams of their anabolic on top of that, when you say high no. normal, what numbers are you well, going to go by? Because like you've seen HRT yeah. clinics put girls at over two. Well, yeah. So, well, that's, that's funny. You mentioned that. So HRT clinics are, man, I've seen some really bad levels. Like when I say bad, yeah. we're talking, I've seen, I've seen uh, women put on 250 milligrams. That's the highest I've seen. Holy which, shit. So what is their levels there? Like 1200? probably. Um, but I'm seeing women run like 400 to 800 all day from HRT clinics. Um, not, that's not normal. And that will cause sterilization probably at some point. Um, normal would be now I'm going to say high, no optimized, right? Say like optimized. That's probably going to be, you could probably run around a hundred or so as a woman and probably not have any, any problems with, uh, side effects. And you could probably, you could run over that for a little while, right? Like it's just, you start running two, three, 400 for extended period of time. And of course you're eventually probably going to have some type of realization happen, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of time. Like eventually it's going to happen. But my point there in the stacking was that if we have that base of testosterone that might put them at a serum, hundred nanograms. And then we add the five, five to 10 milligrams of their anabolic. They still have a total of 15 milligrams coming in, which is a good amount. Right. But now they have some estrogen left over. So now they have estrogen to support them and they have an anabolic. So now the, the environment's better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. <clears throat> but here's my fear. And I've had this happen with clients you leave the test in and put Anavar in and hair shedding kicks up. Now, obviously they're yeah. probably more five alpha, 
But a lot of times I'm pulling that test because I don't want to deal with the fallout and they're not paying $400 for a Dutch. Um, Now you can use salt palmetto, I guess, and add another supplement in. But have you seen that happen? Because I've had it happen enough where it scares me. So I don't leave the test base in a lot of times. I get what you're saying with that'll help convert. But that's always been my fear too, because it had to happen a couple of times. Now I'm like, fuck, I don't want that to happen again. Yeah. And you, and you can run, um, if you worry about that, you can always run like a little bit of DHEA or something in there too. Uh-huh. And that'll give you a little bit of conversion over. Um, the idea is just like, we, we want to try to have a little bit of estrogen present in their body. Right. So they're not just, well, because one estrogen is, hypertrophy agent it'll help with muscle growth too and obviously it helps with all these other biological functions so it's just good to try to have it my way to get around this um and i talk about this at the pc i do eight weeks on and then a period restoration phase which is normally about eight weeks and then back on i don't know that that's enough time in my thinking to really down regulate and so that's why i've chosen eight weeks eight on eight off and it works really well And a lot of times if they lose their period, it's back within four weeks and then we can go again. Yep. And if they don't, then I don't let them go again until we restore it. So I run yep. like eight weeks of a PED period restoration phase and then back on the PED. And I use more shorter time frames to avoid that. Yeah. Time frame and dose is always going to be the factor. I mean, like in reality, like if you run someone on five to 10 milligrams, some of them even keep their period for yep. the majority of the time. Right. Yep. It's just obviously suppression is going to go up when dose goes up. Right. And you guys, I mean, you guys are intelligent. Like it's not, you're not throwing bikini girl Jill on 20 milligrams of Anwar. Like it's just, it's senseless, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen, I think too, managing the other variables is obviously going to be, obviously all the other stress variables is going to be big uh, because a lot of the time, what is it? It's the girl that's, overtrained by their local coach it's getting ran into the ground during prep and then he's like oh let's go on anavar type of thing well yeah so they're having some problems but yeah for sure durations duration is always going to be the biggest thing and if you might even find a duration that works like let's say hey all these chicks are keeping their periods for eight weeks or six weeks this is a good time frame that we can cycle off and we can restore and we can repeat but you know if you know if you're losing a period at six weeks or whatever, and you're going 16 weeks on the cycle, then you know that other 10 weeks is digging a hole. I mean, I know this whole thing isn't about females, but I'm 100%, you know, you can't, you can't train a woman like a man and you can't do, I don't, I don't do cycles. I just don't. Um, I know a lot of coaches still do, but, but it's just too big of a hole to get out. Um, But anyways, back to uh, Prima, how would you use that with females? Uh, so I think most of the compounds are going to be pretty similar in dosing. Your dosings, you're going to probably at minimum to get any type of effect, you're talking like five milligrams, is going to kind of be your base dose to get it, to get something out of it. Right. Um, and then up from there, just depending on, it really just depends on what, like how susceptible they are. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of its susceptibility is also like, what were their features before they started? Like if you take this really super feminine girl mm-hmm. and she gets a little bit of virilization, it's just super noticeable compared to somebody that maybe wasn't yeah, as no, feminine, yeah. you know? So, um, but yeah, but probably around five milligrams and that's probably going to be pretty consistent for most compounds is to give you, because you think if 
if you need this much three to five milligrams of test to be high normal or whatever it might be, if you're doing under that, all you're effectively doing is suppressing your, your hormones and using, you have less than you already started with, you know what I mean? So, um, so you're going to want at least over that mark to get an effect for sure. Yeah. But, and the rest is just with compounds, the rest just really boils down to, um, like how androgenic the compound is and, you know, as to whether or not they are having side effects. Cause in reality, like you could, a woman could use anything in theory at a low enough dose. It's just a matter of like, why would you, when you have better choices? I, know I you can know. base it on androgenic scores. I mean, you tell me what you think, but for me, for women, like the androgenic score, I believe is based on how it affects a man's prostate. So, it's, so it's a receptor thing. It's more of like a receptor. A receptor. Score and, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's so like all compounds are kind of similar. They're all for the most part derivatives of testosterone or in sure. some way, shape or form. Right. But a lot of what makes a compound different is how it binds. Right. So either a, how it binds and B how much it either aromatizes or doesn't aromatize. But if you, but no, you can't go strictly on um, like the androgen to or anabolic right. androgen ratio. They're not, because I think T-ball is zero and they're damn yeah, close. They're not accurate. They want to put women on T-ball. Yeah. yeah, they're not accurate. They, um, because if that was the case, then, you know, you could, in theory, uh, think of an example, but you could use like super draw on women really well mm -hmm. because it's super anabolic, low androgenic profile, which I believe by score. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so, so again, um, we know, we know that that but primo works relatively well for women across the board i would honestly say that that's probably better tolerated than anabar in most women if i had to. yeah mm -hmm. you can people can argue with that i that's just anecdotal i just that's just from what i've what i've seen and i think uh, but again both of those things can be faked a lot exactly. so you know kind of take that for what you will um Masteron is actually tolerated decently well in women. It's just kind of scary for some people because they see it as, as this like hardening um, androgenic type of compound. But again, almost the same thing as Primo. There's hardly any difference. Yeah. Sue, Jason, you guys anything to wrap that out or next one? No, I asked mine as we were going. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Next one. This one I don't know too much about, and I don't know if the guys really do, but I think it's something that's starting to get talked about a lot in the longevity realm, and it's come from the bodybuilding realm, but telemisartan. Mm. Um, let's get on that one. I don't know too much about it, so I'm going to take the role of student and let you teach me, Austin, on this one. I just know it's the craze everyone says to start looking to take for longevity. Yeah, because it was Matt Foreman and then – which. A lot of people still use, and then I think Telmasartan came in whenever. Um, so Telmasartan on paper is kind of the perfect bodybuilder preventative slash longevity drug. And I've actually, the cool thing is I actually um, had a couple people, a couple clients that I worked with that were MDs, and they said them and their spouses took it, which I thought was totally cool because I they weren't. PED users or anything. They were just gen pop. Like, oh yeah, we use that. It's a great drug. It's like, oh, okay. So I had researched this is probably a few years ago or so when it was 
coming about more with people because it's a class of ARBs. So they're angio, angio receptor retention blockers, something along those lines. It's a long, it's a long name. Um, it's the, it plays into the, um, the RAS cycle. There's it's RAS or RAAS. Okay. Um, and you'll see that it depends on whether you not, you add aldosterone into the name. There's rena, renal um, angiotensin system or there's or renal angiotensin aldosterone system. So that's, and all this really is, is just, it's literally just the cycle of fluid balance between the heart and the, the kidneys. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just essentially electrolyte balance, how much, you know, how the blood and the kidneys determine like fluid volume, how much, you know, constriction, you know, um, vasodilation, things like that. So the cool thing about ARBs and especially Telmosartan, because it seems to, and the, um, the research reviews, it seems to be the most effective of, because there's Lorsartan, um, there's a few other different ones. Renal protective, cardio protective, for the same reasons, essentially, lowers blood pressure. And there's even some like indirect kind of effects, like uh, improves endothelial function. So like, you know, which would make sense considering anything that probably controls blood pressure better is going to improve endothelial function. Um, Improves like ejection fracture. So things like that, that are going to be pretty important. Um, lowers the risk of AFib, like irregularities like that. Um, also had shown, right. what's that? Improved insulin sensitivity too. Yeah, they should. Now that was in type two diabetics, but I don't see why it would be any different in, you know, anybody else. Um, so inflammation lowered C-reactive protein, I believe as well. So yeah, like on paper, cardio protective and renal protective seems like the absolute perfect drug for really anyone because metabolic syndrome is probably the biggest killer of anyone ever. Right. I mean, because we have so much diabetes and heart disease. Right. So, um, the, what this, what it's essentially doing is just enhancing this RAS cycle. Right. Um, so with that, I've noticed some cool things. One in, um, in low doses. So clinically it seems that they, they like to use around 40 milligrams as a starting dose, maybe 20 in some people. 20 to 40 seems to be starting, ramped up anywhere up to like 80. And I guess there may be scenarios where they go higher. Um, in that lower clinical dosing, I've actually noticed that most people with normal blood pressure can still take it. No problem. Like it's not dropping them too low. Right. So that would be, that's appealing and it doesn't seem to have any of the side effects like some of the older gen blood pressure medications do have they're not well tolerated they do have a uh, lot of side yeah effects. they do mm-hmm. yeah right so if anyone's done and of course there's different mechanisms so if anyone's done like calcium channel blockers or beta like blocker beta blockers which you just don't feel good no yeah you do not so um if you actually are somebody that needs a blood pressure medication, you know, and you've done, you're doing the other things correctly, then that's a really good drug um, or ARBs in general. I know any of my clients that are already on BP meds and maybe they do need them. I always suggest like, Hey, you know, next time you talk to your doctor, see if they'll potentially 
switch you over to this class that has this XYZ benefit. And a lot of the time, a lot of the newer people that are getting on now, a lot of the newer doctors are kind of starting to get with it. They either go ACE inhibitor or they'll go ARB, which in ACE is still way better than, you know, way better than a beta blocker for sure. Yeah. Less than um, real is not bad. No. Did it improve cholesterol scores at all? Yeah. So there was, there was improved, um, improved HDL scores, which I, I assume, I assume some of that's probably as a result of like lowering inflammation, improving insulin sensitivity is probably why those, you know, those numbers improve. So a lot of this, you know, like there's even like left ventricle hypertrophy was lessened, you know, which, but a lot of these things are all kind of an indirect result of just improving that, that RAS cycle. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys remember at the last PEC, that was one of the, I talked about that a little bit in the, the uh, cardiovascular presentation, like this connection between the kidneys and the heart. Cause essentially we see this in bodybuilders, especially people that are that as they get bigger is either the heart or the kidneys give out and it's one or the other. And one's going to happen. It's just a kind of a luck of the draw. Um, Because what tends to happen is as that blood pressure raises, those kidney tubules get stressed out. Right. And when they get damaged that you can't filter, we see, you know, we see GFR scores start to drop, you know, and we'll see like creatine blood scores get chronically high. We're not talking like, we just worked out yesterday high. We're talking like they're always elevated, you know? Um, and then over time, the kidney can't filter as well. That puts strain back on the heart because of fluid. Um, and that's why, uh, traditionally you would see a lot of people get prescribed diuretics with the blood pressure medication because they're trying to get this fluid off the heart and take some of the strain off the kidneys. Right. So, um, Tomasartan kind of does all of that at once which is cool. It's even as kind of a a physique enhancement thing. I've even used it in some people with uh, peak week, like increased dosage in the peak week to lower aldosterone levels. And it, it's not, it's not diazide, but it works pretty well. And the cool thing is it doesn't, it's going to pull, should pull water from the heaviest watery areas. Whereas we know diuretics are not selective. So it's like, you don't really know where it's coming from type of thing, but that's, it's pretty neat. So you like, you could almost titrate your dose up, assuming their BP doesn't drop too low in peak week. And you can shed some water off them that way, uh, especially for those people like tend to be a little stressed and, and don't handle the, uh, the peak week very well, but that's, uh, that's Tomasartan in a nutshell. What about fat loss and performance enhancement? Does it have like some extra benefit on visceral fat, which is kind of a consequence of androgen use or did I read the wrong study or something like that? So, so again, that's one of the indirect things. And I assume that's mostly because it improves metabolic syndrome outcome, right? Because it's, it's improving that whole cluster of, of symptoms via metabolic syndrome, which you would think even lean, like there's a lot of relatively lean bodybuilders that walk around that have metabolic syndrome. Yeah, no, the visceral fat. Yeah. I've even got some like hot, a little bit higher than normal. And I speculate that's mine from just decades of GH use. Right. So there's visceral fat, you know, irregular lipid panels, inflammation, Mm -hmm. blood sugars, you know, all that stuff. So they, it definitely happens in blood pressure. I mean, 
blood pressure is such a silly thing not to control. Like you, you can, and that's one of those things where medication is even really well tolerated, you know? So there's really no reason not to control blood pressure at this point. Yeah. That's a good point. Do you guys have any questions on it? I have a question, Austin, this might be kind of out of the (laughs) park here, but um, in relation to cortisol and the adrenal glands and how the adrenals are responsible for regulating water balance through aldosterone and all that. Um, is there any benefit to telemasartan in terms of regulating cortisol? So it should, won't, it shouldn't do anything to cortisol directly. Now it would definitely, it would definitely potentially, well, I, I should rephrase that. It would in theory take some stress off of the adrenal glands if yeah. it lowers the demand of aldosterone because aldosterone yeah. being an adrenal hormone. So mm-hmm. we know like if you're, if you have super like hyper adrenal function that we have a lot of sodium retention right. and aldosterone right. production, right? Yeah. A lot of potassium excretion. So this is going to flip flop that a little bit. Um, so yeah, in theory, yeah. I mean, in theory, I suppose it would maybe help the adrenals a little bit. Okay. Cool. If you don't stay hydrated when you're using it uh, and drink extra water, could you feel flat or less pumped, anything like that? Yeah, but but like I always tell people if they're a new person starting a BP med, always watch their urine color. That's a pretty good indicator. Like, you know, if you're used to it being pretty light colored and you notice you're going less frequently, it's getting darker, then you're, you're excreting too much. So, um in theory, for sure, like it would be like a diuretic, you know, if you did, if you just took the diuretic and never drank any water, you'd eventually go flat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Austin, the telemasartan is something that I learned from you. And I, you know, I still take 40 milligrams every day. Um, and I know we talked about it, Austin, about how I was always concerned with my hematocrit and blood pressure was getting a little high when I was pushing food. And I was like, yeah, I'll just donate blood. But you're like, no, this is like something that works a little bit better than, you know, donating blood at the Red Cross. So that's another one. I didn't even mention that is it, it does lower hematocrit levels generally, yeah. hematocrit hemoglobin levels, which is every bodybuilder ever always wonders like, how do I lower these things? Yeah. What I noticed with blood donation is it does work good for some, but for others, they tend to get like a rebound effect and they're always kind of just chasing this, yeah. this like in always forever high hematocrit. I have not had elevated hematocrit maybe a point here and there for a couple years, never doesn't matter how heavy I am. So in my GFR, my GFR will go down slightly if I'm heavier, but it's still like eighties. And if I'm a little bit leaner and lighter, I'm like nineties. So, you know, I've even seen a hundred a couple times on it. So, I mean, this stuff works. Yep. I'm sold. I'm going to start doing it tomorrow. I've got some. I just haven't popped it. So now I'm sold. All right, Austin, you're the best pharmaceutical rep I've ever talked to. Done. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got a couple more, but I think we might just get this one or two. But one I want to do is metformin. Mm. Um, this one gets a lot of play. You see this a lot in PCOS. You see this a lot in the metabolic syndrome. It's a very heavily used drug. I actually use it after getting my 23andMe DNA test and playing with blood work, found out that 1,000 milligrams a day does well for me as far as maintaining insulin levels at four and my BGs fasted, you know, upper 70s, low 80s. But I wanted to get your take on it. 
is it is it in vogue? Is it out of vogue? Is it is it hampering muscle gains? Is it contributing muscle gains? What is it? Let's get into some of that. Okay, so the well, first um, from mechanism standpoint, it does a it does a couple things. Um, It does actually very slightly decrease the amount of absorption of glucose in the GI tract. So there is that. Like everyone's like. Why does it upset my stomach when I first take it? Because once you've taken it for a while, I don't, nobody really has issues with it, but it will alter absorption of glucose a little bit. And it also alters microbiome a little bit. Okay. Now, is this anything to worry about? No, I've never seen any research or literature that would suggest that that's a problem. Um, If anything, they would suggest that it perhaps improves gut flora. Okay. So we can kind of take that one out of the way. Secondly, um, it will decrease hepatic production of glucose. So like it'll decrease how much the liver pumps out. Right. Um, so that's helpful. And then lastly, it will sensitize tissues to glucose uptake. So, you know, basically make you more sensitive to the glucose. Right. So it it kind of does a, from a insulin sensitivity standpoint, it does a few things that's pretty cool. And it's really well tolerated, um, very cheap, you know? So, I mean, there's not really much downside to it in that regard. Um, and obviously like there's other applications. We know that it does, it does lower androgens. So it does do that. Like it's proven to lower testosterone levels. They use it in PCOS. It works, but does that make any difference for someone on exogenous hormones? No. No, because you, you're not going to lower, if you're taking tests, you're not going to be able to lower the tests that you're taking. Like it's nothing's going to like remove that from you. You know what I mean? So that's not, that's not an issue. Um, I know that some people worry a little bit about, um, some of the effects like AMPK, it's like some of the longevity effects. They're worried that that's going to kind of offset it. Um, so from what I understand, and there's probably a scientist out there that could explain it a little better than me. But from what I understand, there's essentially a couple different um, like subtypes of this. Okay. The subtype that metformin affects is not the same subtype that muscle tissue, you know, basically being shut on, on or off is dictated by. Now I've seen some different opinions on this, um, but I've never seen anything conclusive that would say like, no, don't take it for muscle growth. And then there's plenty of anecdotal evidence with people using it that I would should pretty much tell you everything that you need to know from there. Um, and plus, plus in reality, uh, we're doing a lot of other things that are stimulating mTOR and, and probably lowering AMPK and, and stimulating IGF and all these, um, pathways right so um you you got to kind of put the whole context there and if you're not someone using peds for bodybuilding then it's just going to work that much better as a longevity you know a longevity drug i would think i would think metformin and telmosartan if i were just some just some random dude you know that wanted to maintain a good weight and and work out a few days, three, four days a week or something and do some aerobic activity. Like that would be it right there. I'd fast, I'd probably fast occasionally and, you know, do all that hippie shit. And, and but would you do the drugs? 
But would you do the drugs? Which ones? Oh, all the good ones, like shrooms, well, LSD. Well, you know, I would probably lean more towards the uppers, you know. Uh, my man. All right. Yeah, so, but awesome. I have crazy. a question for you guys, if you don't mind. No. Austin, have you heard of a drug called glipizide, um, which is oh. used to, to stimulate the beta cells in the pancreas to produce more insulin? And um, in yeah. that case, would you recommend adding that to metformin to kind of attack uncontrolled blood glucose or higher levels while you're pushing food from both angles? Or would you just opt to use exogenous insulin and not push the beta cells to produce constantly? Yeah, there's a couple of drugs that do that and you'll see them combined with metformin. It'll yeah. be like glucophage plus. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple different versions of that. Um, so I think it's kind of a, I think it's a double-edged sword because the theory works. They would, I think they would generally use that on a non-insulin dependent diabetic, someone that's more early stages and they're trying yeah. to prevent them from becoming insulin dependent. So the, in our population though, if you're going to, if you're in that situation where you're eating a lot, you're trying to support the beta cell function, you may as well just use insulin for that period of time. And then you just stop the insulin when you're sensitive again and you yeah. don't need it. Um, right. you know, cause we're not insulin dependent. Like we should not be insulin dependent people. Like we're using this in certain stents of time for certain purposes. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And it sounds correct in theory, but you, you'd be probably just as well off just using the metformin and using the exogenous insulin on top of it for whatever period of time you needed it. Okay. What about, um, B12 depletion? Is it it something we need to worry about with metformin? Um, yeah, so it, it can deplete B12. Now, you know, I guess you, I guess it would really just depend on levels. Like I don't see a lot of guys, not, not zero, but I don't see a lot of guys with low B12 or like MCV RDW issues on serum labs as much as women. Like I see it a lot in women, but you know, I think for most of our guys that are eating two or 300 grams of protein a day and meat, then B vitamin deficiency is probably a pretty low concern. Um, but you just check it. You know, it's one of those things where if you see it off in the, R- the CBC, you see any of those um, RBC counts off, you could always just supplement with it. Um, but I've never, I don't think I've really ever seen it to any degree. All right. Well, you touched on insulin a little bit by virtue of Sue's product, which was the question was insulin for longevity. This one here kind of has broad base. I know Jason and I talked about GH being good for women, uh, a route for anabolic action on our IG live that we did Sunday night. Um, but we have a question for GH in terms of longevity and in terms of trying to put on size, um, maximizing dose, maximizing windows of use. And that will be the last question we'll do for the day. Okay. GH is a funny one because I, it was always, it was kind of like the fountain of youth drug, but then there's also mechanisms, which probably are the opposite. Right. You know? So I don't, I think that there's just too many other environmental factors that go into longevity that it would be difficult to say like, yeah, this accelerates aging or it slows aging. But what we can say is that, um, 
we know that it has benefits. We know one of the obvious downsides with using it while you're in a caloric surplus is it will raise blood glucose to some degree. So you're going to have food surplus plus GH. And of course that could equal insulin resistance quicker. Right. Um, now growth hormone by itself doesn't seem to have much hypertrophy benefit, um, without insulin. Now, if you eat food, you produce insulin. So here's the thing, like everyone do, I always get this question, like, why do you have to take insulin with GH for hypertrophy if you're eating food and your body's producing insulin? And I think the answer is you probably don't, but the, the fact that it's just a lot of demand on your pancreas, if you're eating in a surplus and you're taking GH and you're raising glucose. So I guess you would have to monitor it to know. Um, but again, like a lot of people circle back to that exogenous insulin because it is going to make your pancreas's job way easier. Um, and you don't need to take, like, for example, if your pancreas makes, uh, and it makes a lot of insulin during the day, if it makes 50 to 80 units or whatever it might make in a day, you don't need to take 50 or 80 units. If you take 10 units or even 20 for somebody eating a lot, your body's going to continue to produce the other 30 or 40 that it needs. Like right. it's not going to shut your pancreas off. Right. So you're just giving it a little additional support, but with GH, you do get, what will happen is you're getting downstream effects that start to desensitize IGF. Okay. So like it produces IGF or you take it and your body produces IGF. Right. But these pathways get desensitized. Insulin resensitizes the pathway. So like, that's why they work together. Keeps blood glucose under control, blood glucose under control. And then it resensitizes these, um, these pathways. So that's why they complement each other so well. Um, so I guess the question you'd have to ask yourself is like, is taking the insulin with the GH going to help me or the person or whoever maintain better pancreatic function. And what I've personally find is that if you took the same two people and you put one on and you had them on the same exact calories and they're both taking GH in a surplus person A that took insulin resensitizes a lot quicker than person B that doesn't because person B's pancreatic function is a lot more taxed during that time. So like they go through their surplus they come out of their surplus, they do their mini cut or their prep or whatever they're doing. And person A just seems to rebalance blood glucose a lot faster than person B. Like I've had, I've seen people taking 80, hundred units of basal insulin a day and their blood glucose is good in like two weeks. Now they could take longer than that. But in theory, if I put someone on a shitload of food, 6,000 calories, 5,000 calories if they're a big male or whatever, and they took GH, man, it, it could take us. I mean, you guys have done insulin resensitizing protocols with people. Like it can take some time sometimes. Like it's not yeah. always a week or two process. Like if they're really far out, you know, it can take some time. Um, so that's kind of what I've seen. Uh, and that's why you might combine the two. And that's how you uh, mentioned dosing. I'll kind of finish on that. So with dosing, uh, two IUs seems to be pretty much maximal amount for like free fatty acid release for fat loss. So if you're doing dosages, you could pretty much, if it's good, you know, if purity is good of it, you could pretty much take two IUs in a fasted state 
you need to be fasted for it to release um, free fatty acids, right? Insulin needs to be at baseline. So you could do that more than once a day if you had a period more than once a day where you were fasted, right? It'll take a couple hours for it to release. So like, that's why AM, take it, do your cardio, stay fasted for a little while. You're going to get the most benefit, right? Mm -hmm. um, hypertrophy doesn't matter. We're not really worried about free fatty acid release. We're more want that IGF activity. So take it whenever, you know, if you want to take it around training, that's fine. Um, same kind of thing. You're probably getting maximal IGF activity around two IUs. So how many times can you, how many times can you jam two IUs in a day? Um, Fuck that. You know, keeping them, but you know, keeping them a few hours apart, like you could probably fit in six to 10 IUs in a day. If you really timed it right. The problem is like, how much is it raising your glucose? How shitty are you going to feel? You know, um, most people that's just not like the point of you, you're probably causing more problems at that point. Most people probably grow pretty optimally in that like four. Yeah, that four three to four range. was was sweet for and me. I've seen I've had a few people running six and they do pretty good. I just find when you get much over that, it's just you just start to accumulate too much blood glucose increase and too many, you just feel too shitty. So at that point, like if your training starts to suffer, then I think it kind of defeats the purpose, you know. Yep. Agree a hundred percent. Well, dude, we're like, we're connected. You guys don't have anything on that. Did you? That was so rude of me. I assume by the way no. we, all right, well, cool. Austin, where can everybody find you at? And I have a question. Are you going to bring the cat fanny pack to Dallas? Oh uh, yeah. I'll, I'll dig it out. I'll find the cat fanny. I'll find okay. it. Good. Um, PC one thing. Yeah. I will find the cat fanny. I have, I, I don't know about the golden girl shirt. I have golden girl socks though. I'll wear those. Fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you guys can find me Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook. If you go on my social media, um, at Austin ST8 on Instagram, link trees in the bio, emails in the bio, um, Facebook, Austin South, you same thing. Bio's got link tree, but which has a YouTube channel, um, emails there. Um, if guys are interested in any services, mentorship classes, the whole nine, you can reach reach me on there. No you problem. have a class coming up, don't you? Yeah, uh, February 11th, which is a Friday. I spaced it about two weeks out from PEC, so it wasn't too close. Have adrenal class. Um, it's going to be pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff we're going to do in that one. Friday night on the 11th, 7 p.m. Sweet. Jason, you got a class coming up, or are you going to announce that later? I'm going to announce it later. I will have something come up in February, but uh, Jeff and I, uh, Sue, uh, our coaching consortium is January 23rd, 6 PM. Um, anyone listening, hit him or I up and email. If I don't follow you on DM, it's going to go to that other folder. I don't see it all the time. Um, and we can get you signed up for it. It's only 250 bucks. It's a round table coaches come and you know ask questions but if you're not a coach and you just have a bunch of questions about your own you know journey bring it on nothing is off the off the table yep and uh yeah my, I myself i'm teaching a class on the end of february it's called dynamic coaching systems there are 15 spots already paid for so i will you know allow 20 so five spots left it's 250 bucks and it's all about 
the, uh, the beginning to end process and what systems and subsystems I use personally um, to manage my business and client load. And there's little like little nuggets of like marketing tips and, and operations management and stuff like that and bottlenecks. And we'll talk about all that business stuff. Nice. Well, I don't have any classes. I don't have anything exciting going on. I'm the loser of the group, but I will be on the IG live this Sunday doing coffee with Jeff at seven 30 in the morning. So if anyone wants to tune in and chat with me, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be weird. I'm going to go for it. So I figure, fuck it. So if you could do step-by-step, then I could do coffee with Jeff. I think though, I'm going to like drop like, well, anyway, I'm not going to say it too much on the air. You should call it. You know what you should call it, Jeff, is sip by sip. Sip by Oh my God. All right. (laughs) I might. I might get a picture of you like just wear like at all times that shirt I have of Jeffrey Sue. I got one event. Don't wear that fucking shirt. That was when I lost to Austin Stout at Junior USA's. There was only three men. Yeah. Everyone loved what I presented in that at Denver. I mean, I was in so many photos with you. But you weren't <laughs> even with me. <laughs> like, it, it was like me and Sue in the photos. Like, I'm like, but Sue's not here. This is great. It's even better. <laughs> like, I'm fucking deal this asshole out, dude. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it, Austin. Right. And guys, next week, uh, Big Vince Daddy, the Godfather himself, is joining us. Okay. So, that'll be a great one. All right. Y'all have yourself a good day. Thanks, Austin. Nice.